Shalom, and we're going to continue our studies, and the subject for this weekend's conference is being the bride of Messiah, understanding what it means to be the bride of Messiah, and so what we're looking at today is the principle that once we accept Yeshua as our Savior and make Him Lord of our lives when we repent of our sins and make that initial commitment by receiving Him into our hearts and into our lives that we are at that moment we are in His kingdom but we are a babe or a child of His kingdom and while we made a commitment in our heart to receive and accept Him we are still, by and large, operating in our carnal, in our natural mind, in our natural thinking. And we have to renew our mind to follow and think according to the Torah, according to the Word of God. And only by commitment to obey Him and to follow Him in His ways, and He helps us by His Holy Spirit, do we get trained in following Him, His ways, and His Torah, and ultimately we grow, and we're to grow into spiritual maturity. What spiritual maturity looks like in a capsulized form is you'll be operating in and have the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul mentioned in Galatians. And so we're going to continue where we left off from the last session. Once again, we're communicating to you in this session the concept of the distinction and difference between being a spiritual babe or child of Messiah to spiritual maturity, and then we're going to show you what is the attributes and characteristics of one who is walking in spiritual maturity. We're going to begin in Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, by understanding that the Torah is the will of the God of Israel, following it and it being upon your heart. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your Torah is within my heart. So, when I was going to this one particular church at one time, we had a 10-week Bible study on Wednesday nights about how to know the will of God. Well, if we'd have known this verse, we could have saved 10 weeks. <laughs> because the will of God is the Torah written upon our heart. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, what's His will? His Torah. If we ask anything in His Torah that He wants us to do, then He hears us. He wants us to have everything in the Torah that He wants us to do, wants us to follow. Now, as you grow from being a babe or a child into spiritual maturity, what comes from that growth is 
Persecution. Persecution is a part of spiritual growth. Now, the flesh does not like persecution. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when men shall revile and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Look, persecuted falsely for my sake. John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Being conformed to Yeshua's sufferings and then his resurrection is spiritual maturity. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul asked and prayed and desired for something that's quite challenging when you get it. And it is this, that I might know him. Now, if I take the word know back to the Hebrew, it's yada. And one of the meanings of yada is to know experientially, to know intimately. So how do we know Messiah intimately and experientially? That I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, we want to say that he suffered so that we don't have to suffer. No, that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So what Paul understood what it meant to be a disciple, a disciple learns from their teacher so that one day they can be as their teacher. And so actually Messiah's life is an example to us how we should live our lives and what we can expect when we make a commitment to do the will of God in our lives. Desiring to do the will of God in your life is a spiritually mature heart desire. And so he says, Philippians 3.12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And this is a derivative of teleos. And so notice what he's defining as being spiritually mature when you experience the fellowship of Messiah's sufferings. But it doesn't end there. What follows the fellowship of his sufferings is to be raised to glory. You see, I finished the work, I've glorified you in the earth. You see, the end result is I've glorified you in the earth. So not only do you give him glory, but you get glorified as well. You get honored as well when you do his will. But honor isn't the immediate thing that comes when you do His will. First, you have to be despised and rejected, misunderstood. That's the fellowship of His sufferings. So Paul is equating the fellowship of His sufferings and then ultimately being raised to glory as being spiritually mature. And so, look, Paul's a believer. And if there's anyone that gave his heart and his life for Messiah... Once he realized who Messiah was, it was Paul. And to him, the only purpose of life was to live for Messiah and to be like Messiah. 
That being the case, I mean, Paul's testimony is far greater than the average believer. That being the case, Paul says, not as though I regard myself as being spiritually mature. He knew what it took to be spiritually mature, and then he says, I'm not going to say that I've arrived. I've made it there. Not as though I had already attained, either were already spiritually mature. Let us, therefore, as many as be spiritually mature, be thus minded. Us that are spiritually mature, how do, what mind do we have to have? We want to do the will of God in our lives. What is the will of God? The Torah written upon your heart. And you follow the Torah by His Spirit. And so Yeshua showed us physically what is required to do the will of God. You see, when He died on the tree, that was doing the will of God to bring forth the work of salvation and reconciliation and restoration and a whole lot of other things Yeshua accomplished and was purposed for when He died on the tree. But in dying on the tree, you know what? Nails went through His flesh. That's a prophecy. That in order to do the will of God, you got to crucify the flesh. You got to crucify the flesh and go through its sufferings. But then on the other side, you get raised to glory. And so then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Perfectness. This is a deriv derivative of teleos. It's teleotes. It's from teleos. And so love and walking in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Walk in love as Messiah also has loved us in giving himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. This is love that we walk after his commandments. And so you show our love to Yeshua by following his Torah, by keeping his commandments. And so that's not only how you show your love to him, but love is the way that you um, are to treat others as well. So Yeshua said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How do you do that? Keep His commandments. Follow His Torah. And the second greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Immaturity. If you have love one for another. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time, speaking of the Father. But if we love one another, God dwells in us and His love is perfected in us. A derivative of teleos, you see. The word translated as perfected comes from 40, comes from 5046, which is teleos in the Greek dictionary. Romans chapter 13, verse 9. 
For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly summarized in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, in Romans chapter 13, verse 9, Paul uh, wasn't, wasn't taking you back to kindergarten and trying to explain that if you believed in Yeshua, you're to follow the Torah. Because some people, when they're questioning whether you should follow the Torah or not, they might look at this verse and they'll say, okay, what's not in that list is keeping the Sabbath. Well, if you actually look at that list, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. These are things about how we interact and treat one another. This is relations between and with other people. So in the context of these are commandments about how we treat others, he says those commandments are summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. So he was teaching on spiritual maturity. He wasn't trying to make the uh, argument about whether you should or should not follow the Torah. But we will go to a verse like that and take it out of context and say, see that? He didn't mention the Sabbath. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Torah. Love is following the Torah in spiritual maturity. We read this and somehow we say, okay, I can love, but I don't follow the Torah. No, if you're love, then you are following the Torah. Love is how you follow the Torah and spiritual maturity. So you can't say, I'm fulfilling the two greatest commandments and I'm not supposed to follow the Torah when the greatest commandment comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And the second greatest commandment comes from Luke. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, they're Torah commandments. What's the greatest commandment in the Torah? So how is it that he answers what's the greatest commandment in the Torah? And then you conclude you're not supposed to follow the Torah. Does it make any sense? So he repeats it, Galatians 5.14. For all the Torah is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, the category of the commandments, if I break down all the commandments, what is all the commandments about? It's something about showing love to God or showing love to your neighbor. But if you show love to your neighbor, you show love to God. So all the commandments are about showing love to God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. Whoever keeps his word... His word is his Torah. Whoever keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God spiritually mature. Is the love of God perfected. 5048 is a derivative of 5046, which is teleos. And I'm using the Strong's numbers to the Greek uh, New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the... Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, which is given unto us. You see, that love is put in our hearts by the Ruach HaKodesh. You can't even love appropriately without the help of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul then takes the Torah and he just explicitly states what you need to do in concrete terms if you're going to follow the Torah, particularly in spiritual maturity. But the people reading Paul um, thinks that Paul taught you're not supposed to follow the Torah. So when Paul is giving you instructions about following the Torah, we don't even realize those are instructions to follow the Torah. We don't even realize that love is an instruction on following the Torah or else we wouldn't say we're not supposed to follow the Torah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You've been called to liberty. To liberty. You've been called to follow the Spirit of God. Don't use liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Because see, if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But by love, serve one another. So Following the Torah by the Spirit will be manifested in love, and a characteristic of love is it serves one another. James chapter 1, verse 25. Whoever looks into the perfect Torah of liberty, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Whoever looks into the perfect Torah of liberty. And so following the Torah is liberty, Following the Spirit is liberty. So liberty is following the Torah by the Spirit. You know, we have some of those in traditional Christianity. They say, oh, uh, you know, uh, we follow the Spirit now. We don't need to follow the Torah. You know, uh, I just do what the Spirit tells me. And so I don't need to follow the Torah. Well, the Spirit tells you to follow the Torah. Where the... Spirit is there's liberty, and whoever looks in the perfect Torah of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He will lead you and guide you in truth. Who's truth? That's Yeshua. John chapter 14, verse 6. Yeshua said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the Holy Spirit will point you and reveal to you who Yeshua is and that he is the Messiah. But the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you in truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. What is truth? Psalm 119 verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is truth. So therefore, the proper way to follow the Messiah is to follow His Torah by His Spirit. And if you do that in a mature way, you will live a life and walk in love, 
and demonstrate the fruit of following the Torah by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, shalom, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And they that are Messiahs have crucified the flesh. You see, if you walk in the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit, which is spiritual maturity, because love is spiritual maturity, then you're not walking in the flesh. And so the fruit of the Spirit is associated with having crucified the flesh. Because walking in the fruit of the Spirit is the will of God. It's the outcome of following the Torah by the Spirit. Yeshua did the will of God. When he did the will of God, when he died on the tree, um, there were nails that went into his flesh. He crucified his flesh. So when he did the will of God, when he walked in the fruit of the Spirit, the flesh got crucified. There's no other way. Psalm 119, verse 45. I will walk at liberty. I will seek your precepts. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of Yahweh Elohim is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to proclaim liberty. If you're proclaiming liberty, you're proclaiming the Torah. If you're proclaiming liberty, you're proclaiming the work of the Spirit of God. Proclaiming liberty to the captives. Who's in captivity? Those that don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Who's in captivity? Those that are not following His Torah. Who's in captivity? Those that are not following His Torah by His Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is following the Torah. Ezekiel 36 verse 27. I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. Notice what is the result of the Holy Spirit in you is the Holy Spirit in you says, follow the Torah of the Messiah. So you can't say that I'm being led by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit told me that I don't need to keep the Sabbath. Hmm. And the Holy Spirit told me that I don't need to do Passover. Well, that's contrary to the Word. And so that's not what the Holy Spirit tells you. That's your mind. And you take your mind and then you think that what goes through your mind is God. Well, if what goes through your mind and what you do and think is contrary to the Torah or the Word of God, that's not God. That's your mind. That's your flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Messiah Yeshua, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there's no condemnation of those who walk in the Spirit. What are you going to do to walk in the Spirit? Follow His Torah. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Thus I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so Paul testifies in Romans chapter 7 verse 22 that he follows the Torah according to the Holy Spirit. 
I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. So, he didn't say I delight in the Torah according to what the rabbis say. He says I delight in the Torah after the inward man. That is the one that has the Holy Spirit written upon his heart, which is the will of God. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 4. That the righteousness of the law, the right way to follow the Torah, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So how can he say that walking in the Spirit is the righteousness of the law, and then some people say walking in the Spirit and don't follow the law? He said the righteousness of the law is walking in the Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you in all truth. The purpose of the Ruach is to teach you, to lead you, to guide you in truth. What is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is the truth. Psalm 119, verse 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Yeshua is truth, John chapter 14, verse 6. The Torah and the commandments are truth. So now if you understand what the definition of truth is, John writes in 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we say uh, that I'm a follower of Yeshua and I have a close and deep and intimate and personal relationship with Him, but you walk in darkness, you lie, and you do not the truth. What's the truth? The Torah. And so the opposite of the truth is walking in darkness. So if you say you have fellowship with Him and don't follow His Torah, you're lying. You do not the truth. So he says in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So walk... In Hebrew, it was halach. And to the Jewish people, there's a term that refers to the way you follow the Torah. They call it halacha. Halacha is the way that you walk. So walk in truth is a direct reference to following the Torah. And so John, the disciple of Yeshua, is saying, I'm delighted when I hear that the students of Yeshua are endeavoring to follow his Torah. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 14. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so a son of God is a term for being obedient and being spiritually mature. A son of God is a term for following the Torah by the Spirit. Alright, now... In Exodus chapter 21, it talks about the bondservant. And so a bondservant is somebody that by his free will decides to serve his master, even though he's not obligated to serve his master. He can do what he wants. He has free will. And so let's see what Paul calls himself. Romans 1.1. Paul... In the King James says, a servant of Yeshua Messiah. 
And so this word servant is the Strong's number 1401 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary. And it means a bondman. It means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. You know how most human beings live their lives? According to what they perceive is in their best interests. I'm going to do what I perceive is best for me. Well, that's the opposite of a bondman. That you're devoted to another. Who? To Yeshua. You're devoted to what? Doing His will. You're devoted to what? Being like Him. You're devoted to what? Being a student of His and learning of Him and His ways and to the disregard of one's own interests. What does that mean? That means my purpose in life is to do His will and to seek His will, not my own. That's what Yeshua said. I've come to do my Father's will, not my own. So he was speaking the words of a bondservant. So what does the Apostle Peter call himself? 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a King James says servant, but it's a bondservant. And one that is sent, an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah. Paul, a bondservant. Peter, a bondservant. Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Yeshua Messiah. The word servant, bondservant. So they all knew what was required to be a follower of the Messiah. That is, he's your everything. He's your all. And you seek to be like him. And you strive to do his will. And... A servant is not above his master. So how and, and the things that happened to him um, happens to you. He was persecuted. You're persecuted. But even though he suffered shame in doing the will of God, ultimately he was raised to glory and he gets the rule and reign as a result of being Faithful, And so we, we like it. Well, he did it, so I don't have to do it. I mean, that's the opposite of what the calling is. He's my example of how to do it. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. The revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which God gave unto him, to show unto his, the King James says, servants, to show to his bondservants. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his bondservant, John. So John, the bondservant of Yeshua, wrote the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation was written to and for Yeshua's bondservants. It wasn't written for everybody. It wasn't for everybody. It was for those who's devoted and dedicated to follow the Messiah. John chapter 12, verse 26. If any man serve me, be a bondservant, let him follow me. 
And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. How are you honored, ruling and reigning with Messiah? How are you honored? You're resurrected to glory. How are you honored? You're his bride that lives in the new Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 20, verse 27. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so the greatest in the kingdom will be servants. The greatest will be the servant of all. And the highest form of serving is to live your life exclusively for the benefit of others. That's the highest form of living your life. If you live your life exclusively for the benefit of somebody else, you're laying down your life. Okay, you might ask, what is the most practical way for me to be able to do that? Well, God structured a family in a way that you can fulfill these commandments in a family. In a traditional family, you have husband and wife. And in a traditional family, um, the husband is going to work. And what work is, is, you see, in this world, you only have so much time. When we live today, the hourglass just got shorter. We only have so much time. So therefore, how we use our time um, is extremely important because we don't have an unlimited amount of time. All right, so you don't have an unlimited amount of time. So what do you spend most of your life doing? Working. And so in a traditional family, a man spends most of his life, which only has a limited time of working. Okay, why do you want to work for? Well, because when you work, you get money. Well, why do you want money for? Because I need money in order to support my family. So what he's doing is he's trading his time for money. And then what he does with his money, which means what he does with his time, he uses his money, if this is what he's commanded to do from a Bible perspective, he's supposed to use his money to support his family. It's to support the needs of his wife. It's to support the needs of his children. So now look, he's living his whole life to work for the benefit of someone else. For his wife and for his children. What's he doing? He's being a bond servant. And so it's actually when he decides to do things for his own self-interest is when the whole thing breaks down. Now the woman... His wife can't trust him. She feels insecure. And she has to go out and she has to fend for herself. And, and you know, she's offended. Oh, you know, you're not helping me. I don't need you. And so let, let me be independent and, and uh, let me be able to have my own power to meet my own needs. It's a byproduct because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. If a man would do what he's biblically commanded to do, then things would function properly. And this is the context by which 
a man is under the authority of the Messiah, and the Messiah was under the authority of his father, and being under the authority of his father, he did his will and he laid down his life, and he came to minister to others and to give his life for a ransom to many, so that's who the man is under, so that's what that's his model, what he's supposed to do. And so if he um, follows Messiah and loves his wife and his family the way Messiah loved the congregation to do the will of his father, and then everything's going to function and be in order. And our problems is when we are disobedient. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so uh, we're called to do the will of God. And so the will of the Father for Yeshua was for him to die, to lay down his life, to offer salvation to the world, um, and to renew the covenant that the house of Jacob, his bride at Mount Sinai, broke. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. So as a good shepherd, his greatest interest is the welfare of the sheep. And so he says, as a good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. So a disciple strives to be like his teacher. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. So this is what Paul was striving to be, as his master. Well, what was the example of his master? Um, that he went through sufferings to do the will of God, but he was rewarded with being raised to glory. So Paul says that I might know Messiah and the fellowship of his sufferings and to know the power of his resurrection, to be conformed unto his death. And us who want to be spiritually mature should be so thus minded. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Now that's a fruit of the Spirit. Because He laid down His life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's not that He laid down His life so we don't have to. He's the example. He laid down His life so in following him, a servant is not above his master. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The greatest love will lay down your life for others. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So this is the spiritually mature, the higher form of following the Torah. Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And so a disciple of Yeshua will die 
to his own will, his own interests, his own desires. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. So this word soul is the Strong's number 5590 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary. It's the Greek word suke. And the soul is the seat of the feelings, desires, affections. And so um, it's our will, our mind, our emotions is our soul. And so since our will is a part of our soul as, a, as uh, much as our emotions, and so our soul has to die, meaning our doing our own will. And so who wants to do its own will? The flesh wants to do its own will. So the flesh has to die, us doing our own will. Now, there was a religion of the flesh. There was a religion of the flesh doing what it wants to do. You know what that religion was called? Baal worship. So the reason why the God of Israel dislike Baal worship is because it's the opposite of following the Torah. Its philosophies are opposite of following the Torah. Opposite of his kingdom, his character, and his nature. Matthew chapter 26 verse 39. But let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So a disciple strives to be like his teacher. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Be followers of me, even as I am of the Messiah. See, first he's following the Messiah. So as long as he's following the Messiah, Paul can say, Be followers of me, because he's following the Messiah. He wants to be like his teacher. So Yeshua did the will of his Father. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing because I seek not my own will, but I seek the will of the Father which has sent me. John chapter 6 verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So that's the calling of a disciple of Yeshua. To do his will, not your will. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commanded his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. So in doing the will of God, Yeshua died so that the world who was out of relationship with the God of Israel could be reconciled and come to relationship with the Father, and that's the Father's will. Yeshua, that is the spiritual maturity of Yeshua, is Paul's prize or desire or goal by which he's living his life. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua my Lord, that I might win Messiah. That is, have the status of spiritual maturity. And so, he says, I'm counting all things for loss because I'm striving 
for the knowledge of Messiah, that I might win Messiah. Then he says, that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformed unto his death. Then he says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So what he's talking about is a spiritual status, the resurrection of the dead. And his spiritual status comes by living his life in such a way that he wants to be like the Messiah. He's conformed to his image. You see, you know what the golden calf is? The golden calf is putting the Messiah and who you want Yeshua to be to you in your image. So, um, what do I want him to be? Um, I want him to save me. I want him to be free. I don't want to do anything. I don't want him to ask me to do anything. I want his grace to cover anything that I think or anything that I do. And I get the very best prize that he has to offer to live with him in the New Jerusalem. <coughs> and so, I want... I want to say I believe in Him, and by believing in Him, I get everything, and I'm not asked or required, or there's, there's nothing um, that is my obligation. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, therefore, um, I want one that saves me that I don't have to follow His Torah. I want one that saves me that I don't need to keep His Sabbath. I want one that saves me that I, can, um, that I don't have to keep Passover. I want one that saves me that if I decide, you know, you know, society and my family, they all like Christmas, we all have fun, and, you know, Christmas is a pleasure of my life. Um, I want a Messiah that saves me that if I decide I just like Christmas and everything that it's about, that I do Christmas. That if he wants me to do Feast of Tabernacles, no, I don't need to, I don't want to do that. I mean, that's the one I want to worship. So if you tell me that, if you bring me a Yeshua that says, um, you know, I want you to keep the Sabbath, I want you to keep the annual festivals, I don't want you to eat pork, and I want you to love one another and, and seek to do His will and lay down um, your life and to be a bond servant um, and to love others, serve others, give to others. No, that's not the one that I want to say hallelujah, praise the Lord too. Yes, you're my, you're my Savior. That's not the one. I, I don't want Him to be that. And I, I'm going to go to the place where um, He's what I want Him to be. You see, now you're making Him into your image of what you want Him to be. You've actually made an idol of Him and instead of you being conformed to His image, you're conforming Him to your image, and that's idolatry. And He's displeased with that attitude. So when you're being conformed to His image, to do His will, then you are conforming to His death, and you are a part of His resurrection. And then Paul goes on to say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Messiah Yeshua. Did he call getting saved the high calling? No, the high calling was to be conformed to him. 
Thy high calling was that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's the high calling, is to live my life so that at the end of my life, I've lived my life, and my life has represented Messiah in my lifestyle, in my character. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Mm. All right. While the will of God requires you to crucify your flesh, doing the will of God has eternal and everlasting reward, but doing what you want to do and doing what your flesh wants to do is just temporary. And so, um, what is another way of expressing being concerned for the temporary and the here and now? Well, that's Esau. Because uh, Esau thought he was going to die um, in Genesis chapter 25. So he thinks he's going to die. And so he says, what does the birthright have? What good is it for me if I'm going to die? He was only thinking about him. Now. He wasn't thinking about future generations. He wasn't um, thinking about passing on a legacy. And so Esau's for the here and now. But Jacob was concerned about the promise that was given to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. And he was concerned about the legacy that he's going to pass on to his children. Jacob was focused on the eternal. Esau, the temporary. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. After this manner pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, his kingdom is present when his will is done. So when you love one another, serve others, give, lay down your life, manifest the fruit of the Spirit. The kingdom of God has come in the presence where you are manifesting these things in your life. The kingdom of God has come to that situation. The will of Yeshua is that his disciples do the will of his father. Matthew chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what is the will of the Father? Well, one element and aspect of the will of the Father is to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. To believe that He's your Savior. To make Him Lord of your life. John chapter 6, verse 40. This is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life. John chapter 6, verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. So this part of the will of the Father 
has been well and thoroughly documented and preached in traditional Christianity. That is to believe in Yeshua and His work and dying on the tree and confessing your sins and believing that He's your Savior. So that part of the will of God is broadly known. But the response to that isn't broadly and well known and taught in traditional Christianity. And that is, it is also the will of God that we be conformed to Messiah's image and that we seek to do the Father's will and not ours, that we lay down our lives, that we love, and we give to others, serve others, etc. So following Torah is the will of the Father. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my Elohim. Yes, your Torah is within my heart. So the Torah written on your heart is the new covenant. So the will of the Father is the new covenant. And the new covenant is the Torah written upon our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my Torah in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. So one of the levels of meaning of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, is finding fault with them. So what did he find fault with? He found fault with the heart of his people. They had stony hearts, and they didn't know the one that brought them out of Egypt, because you know what they said when they went into the wilderness? Um, they said uh, when they had encountered a difficult moment, difficult time that challenged their flesh, they said, oh, he brought us out here to kill us. Yeah. Really? He delivered you from Egypt and, and all the judgments of Egypt by signs, wonders, and miracles? And the whole reason why he did that was to bring you out in the wilderness to kill you? I mean, that was his character. That was his purpose. Well, why did they think that? Because at the moment, they were hungry. At the moment, they were thirsty. At the moment, they had need, and they didn't know how the need was going to be fulfilled. And in the natural, with the carnal mind and natural logic, they were in a desperate situation. And the circumstances looked like they weren't going to make it. So I guess if I'm not going to make it, he brought us out here because I'm here. So that I wouldn't make it. So they said, well, he brought us out here to kill us. Well, wasn't it better in Egypt? Because, you know, there was plenty there. So they wanted to trust in Egypt. They didn't want to trust in the one who brought them out. That he would provide. That he would take them to the promised land. So he found fault with them. He found fault with the hearts of the people. And so in doing so, he makes a new covenant wherein the Torah will be written upon their heart. And he gives his people the indwelling Holy Spirit... So that they don't think God brought us out here to kill us. They'll be like Joshua and Caleb. My God's able. We'll take the land. Who cares if there's giants? The Torah is to be written upon our heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. And so it's the Torah written upon our heart is what Paul followed. Romans chapter 7 verse 22. I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. 
So at this point, we're going to take another 15-20 minute break, and following that break, we should be able um, to at least finish up the remainder of this teaching and this message, and we'll be back for our next session following that.